And let's be honest, it's not really the brown girls from Jersey City who saved the world. I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on Journalists, we talk about Miss Marvel. Good morning, people. If for those of you like me who are enjoying the wee hours of the morning, not like Eddie, who is sitting over in the brisk, cool afternoon <laughs> of the UK. You know, it's funny because like um, uh, the time that Chris records these is, is very early his time. And I appreciate that because I mean, a lot of it means I'm not staying up till late at night to record things. But it's also I also get up like five in the morning normally. So it's like, I feel the whole, I can get things done early in the morning vibe, but also it does mean sometimes the energy is a bit weird. Are you inferring that this is a low energy day for Chris? Uh, The fact is that you have not uh, made a joke yet, or uh, you have not made a pun. And it is one minute into the podcast implies that I think you're maybe going a little slow today. Yeah, (laughs) That is more than likely. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for for out of off for random, random personal thing it was a, a big personal weekend we ran around we did some stuff and so so everyone knows this is a, a monday morning so i'm tired from yes. our great weekend um the things but, that we did do i will not say because that was off air talk and only eddie knows right is my secret i know all of the secrets uh, uh but honestly I, th- I think it's good i mean i, I think Talking about those on Monday is probably good because I don't anticipate us having a lot of frustrating conversation around this show. <laughs> I mean, this is just a pretty good show, I'll top the bottom, in my opinion. Now that Eddie has said that, mm-hmm. I would like to take a moment to discuss some of the controversies about the show. Oh, sure. Uh, it's an MCU show. It's going to have controversy around. Let's, let's, let's just be honest about that. <laughs> um. I think originally when the show was airing, there was controversy about some of the potential casting. Uh, more recently, there's a controversy that involves a writer strike and a at least one writer not being paid for heavy rewrites on the show. And it is a lot that you could dig into. Part of the problem is you're going to have to try to decipher what is actually a real controversy compared to what is trolls because the character of Miss Marvel has a lot of trolls that actively target the character and anyone associated with it. For the actual writer as- writer aspect of it, that is something that's more substantial that we could potentially talk about because that is an ongoing thing and that is has legal ramifications associated with it. Right. Um, but uh, this one and a little bit also of, of She-Hulk are, are shows that um, the controversy is exists but comes from a perspective that to be blunt chris and i are not sympathetic to um i.e that yes women and brown people can absolutely star on their own show so fuck you uh, mm-hmm. um and this controversy as i'm recording is still going on because these same chuckleheads are now also trying to say that the marvels movie coming out is also going to tank um which which strangely enough has three women leads two of which are women of color um and there's a certain tr- trend and connectivity in these controversies that I'm going to uh, put in the bin of bigoted bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And we're not going to waste a lot of time on that. No, 
Nah. The one thing that I do not know enough about to talk about, but I do want to definitely mention as I saw it as a news article sometime back is that potentially I can't say with certainty because I, I don't know that the actor who plays her father had some sort of allegations placed against him for inappropriate conduct, I think, towards a teenager. Mm, okay, I didn't worry about that. It, and I don't have enough information to validate or not, but is it something that we mentioned when we do the show? So people, if people want to go and find out more, they can. So now all that is up front. And that's the full extent of my knowledge about all of that. Uh, and on a brighter note, um, the the woman who plays Miss Marvel is, as of this recording, is writing a short series of Miss Marvel for Marvel, which is a lot of Marvel in one sentence. Um, uh, but she, but she is writing specifically the uh, uh, run where Ms. Marvel is revealed to be a mutant and not an inhuman, which is a really important point for comic book continuity, and segues right into me getting Chris to explain what inhumans are. Jesus, <laughs> did we not establish it is early in the morning? Um, no, no, no. Okay, no, no, sir. This this show has evolved into you trolling me about obscure bits <laughs> of my comic book knowledge. And if you think I'm going to let you get away with that, you are sorely mistaken. All right. I, I will crack open <clears throat> my mental thesaurus of knowledge and see what I can pull out for you. And that kind of segues into something. Before I do that, let's let's start a little bit at the beginning for the TV show. The reason that Miss Marvel is an inhuman originally is because of the conflict between Marvel TV and Marvel movies and Kevin Feige and I forgot Sony. his name. Owning, yeah. <clears throat> owning the rights to the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. And so one of the things Marvel started doing when they realized they would never, they didn't think they would ever get those back is they started downplaying them in the comics and that led to the X-Men comics becoming a little bit less predominant and the Fantastic Four actually being stopped as a series for a while and the Fantastic Four members going to other comics. It was dark time. And that's why suddenly the Inhumans, now that we're back to Inhumans, I'll give you a quick snippet of the Inhumans. Uh, the Inhumans were a, ray, or a group of humans who were experimented on by the Kree to have latent superhuman powers and this was during the Kree Skull War, but for in our timeline, it was 50,000 years ago. And like the first, I want to say, inhuman child was something cave boy. <laughs> and eventually, yeah, yeah, I got inhuman knowledge. You see that? I wow. didn't know, did you? Wow. Who eventually they formed uh, Atlan, which is their society. And depending on when you read the comics, Atlan could be on the dark side of the moon. It could be in the ocean. It could be up in the Himalayas. Who knows where this floating city moves around to? But and to be the clear, humans have some of this is not continuity problems. Some of this is the city genuinely moves. So comics. <laughs> if you want to provide clarity instead of like my my vague joke that's associated with them not having one established place. Um, so they developed a society, but the society had a caste system and primarily the characters that the readers interacted with were the royal family, like Black Bolt, Medusa, um, Gorgon, Crystal. I could probably name a couple more, but I think you get the gist of it. A lot of their powers come from something called the Terrigen Mist, which basically unlocks their 
latent gene. They're not mutants, but they have a latent gene that gives them powers that they can shoot fire all the, all the way from shooting fire to having full body transformations. Much like a mutant, you have a latent gene and you hit puberty, something happens and you get gain powers anywhere from shooting fire to a full physical transformation. But they're not humans. Sort that out yourselves. And now, having give me your point of reference for the humans who are also, I want to shoot up around the, the original Fantastic Four comics between issues 30 and 50. So that's how old they are for like the status quo. You've almost had in humans and mutants being part of Marvel for the same amount of time. And to move all the way up to now, when Kevin Feige couldn't have the mutants how he wanted, they made the Inhumans a thing. And so that is why Kamala Khan is a mutant, because Black Bolt fought the X-Men, and Black Bolt said, you know what, X-Men? Fuck you, and unleashed a Terrigen bomb over the Earth that coated the Earth in like the Terrigen mist. And if you had an latent Inhuman gene, you would go into this big cocoon, and you would eventually pop out with superpowers. The mist was also deadly to mutants. Weird coincidence. I, I do like how now. the difference between Inhumans and mutants right now in comics, and this is a deep cut for people who are paying attention to comics right now, is that when you go into a cocoon as an Inhuman, you come out with powers. You go into a cocoon as a mutants, you come back alive. So, you know, huge difference. <laughs> yeah. And one of the reasons I think the Inhumans didn't hit off well is because we followed the royal family. And plus, their powers weren't super cool. Black Bolt, if he talks, he shoots out an incredible sonic shockwave that could devastate cities. So Black Bolt doesn't talk. Medusa has super strong hair. Yep, yep, super strong hair. Uh, Gorgon has like uh, hoved, hoved feet like an animal, and if he stomps to the ground, can make little earthquakes. And super strength, maybe like five, ten tons, maybe, if you squint. Yeah, um, so equivalently, like those are their powers compared to the X-Men who have Cyclops, Optic Blast, Jean Grey has all these great mental powers. Um, we could go to the Beast, who is blue originally blue and fuzzy, which is my favorite version of the Beast. Not the cat one either, like the one pre-cat. When he was palling around with Wonder Man as they were buddies. Yes. Side tangent put away to come back to say that the reason that Miss Marvel is an inhuman is because of that conflict and couldn't get the rights to the X-Men. So she came out as an inhuman. That is the inhumans bit for you. But before I can talk about Miss Marvel, we still need to talk about now Captain Marvel. Well, we'll talk about the first Miss Marvel who <laughs> took on the name of Captain Marvel. Yes. From another Captain Marvel. Who is not Captain Marvel? Do do you want me to do the Marvel talk? Like that's a, a well, and, and neither of these are are the, the mm. Captain Marvel in my DC. <laughs> oh no! All right, you want to go there? Let's let's give a quick five minute bit about that. Do you, do you not understand the depths of my comic knowledge? It I, is do. Sporadic, I do. Sporadic, but it's all in there. Um, so DC originally had a comic called Captain Marvel, which is are now for a while they had to change it to Shazam. Because Captain Marvel was out selling Superman. And DC could not have that. So they sued them nearly out of existence. And the name Captain Marvel went away. And Marvel Comics went, ooh, you don't have that anymore. Let's make a character called Cap Captain Marvel. 
So then DC no longer had that rights. And so that's why the Captain Marvel comic for DC was called Shazam for a long time, because he would say Shazam and a lightning bolt would strike this 13 year old kid, turning him to a 30 year old man with a 13 year old kid's brain and superpowers. That's a cocktail for disaster. Yes, um, nothing bad. Nothing good could happen from that. Captain Marvel was a member of the Cree. Notice how I mentioned Cree again. We'll mm-hmm. come back to that in a second. Um, the Cree who are fighting with the scrolls, which we'll be talking about the scrolls sometime in the future. And mm-hmm. Captain Marvel was just a soldier, but he got these great things called the Negabands that when he would, I mean, I can talk about Rick Jones. So I'll let you know now, ah, we're just going to Rick Jones. That's a whole that's other conversation. He's a singularity of continuity, yeah. Uh, he got the Negabands that let him have basically, he was a low-powered Superman with the Negabands. He could shoot energy beams, he could survive in space, he could fly around, but he also had cosmic awareness, the greatest power in existence. It's kind of like Obi-Wan. If something bad happens, he know about it. So he ends up coming to Earth. He has shenanigans. He meets uh, Miss Marvel, who was an Air Force. She was an Air Force pilot, but she worked for the Air Force. I think she was security in the comics. After which time she got involved with Marvel. She got superpowers. And then a lot of her tenure, actually, as a superhero for a while, she was attached to the X-Men. Because Marvel, the company didn't know really how to use her properly. And Claremont, because originally when she was made, she was a feminist icon. And that's what they're going for. And it was great. And then within a few years, Marvel do what Marvel does. And they fucked it up. And then they had her being all sorts of assault things. You got to go look at it yourself. But then Chris Claremont said, hey, let's bring you over here to the X-Men. And she ran around with the X-Men for a while. She had an encounter. She's a reason that Rogue has superhuman strength, can fly and is invulnerable because Rogue permanently absorbed a portion of her powers, putting her into a coma, which if you remember our talk about Jessica Jones being coma girl, that is why Carol Danvers and Jessica Jones are such good friends because they're both have that linkage from coma. That's why they're always trying to help each other. Eventually, Professor X gave Carol back her memories about the emotions attached to them. Carol runs, leaves, becomes binary, goes off in the galaxy, fights super stuff, comes back, uh, takes Monica Rambeau's Captain Marvel name, and then has a great superhero run for about a decade before Marvel destroys her in Secret Wars 2, making her the Iron Man equivalent of that, of that fight. During that point in time, Kamala Khan, we finally made it to Kamala, um, became idolized Carol. And when the Terrigen gas hit, Kamala got put into a cocoon during in the cocoon. She had these visions and in the end they asked, who did she want to be? And she says, I want to be Captain Marvel. And she pops out looking exactly like Miss Marvel Carol in that costume that is inappropriate for for kids. Mm -hmm. Yes. There you go. I'm an old, I'm an old man. Who's a dad. I said it. And she proceeds to run around Jersey city, having her own adventures. And during the course of that time, she develops confidence in herself and we get Miss Kamala Khan, who's basically has a power to shapeshift, elongate. She has limited regeneration, which means if she's in her real true self state being herself, she can regenerate, but it costs her a lot of personal energy. So it's a finite resource for regeneration, which I think is a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she can, as she would say, embiggen. 
and become really big and she would get strength proportional to her size so she get minor levels of super strength and is an all-around amazing character she became marvel's premier muslim superhero the first muslim superhero for marvel that had their own title yes. very specific wording yes. because marvel did have other muslim superheroes such as josiah x who was the genetically engineered son of isaiah bradley uh uh mont saint Clair from the generation x not new mutants Oh, yes, yes, right, Monte Clair, yes. Yeah, yes, like yes, that. Yeah, Generation X, yeah. And also, there was a, a Muslim character who, for a while, carried around the Black so the Black Knight's sword, and she fought people with a sword. It was a whole thing. Yeah. And, but for Kamala Khan, though, she was created with a care and a concern for her background, her religion, mm. and all other aspects of the character, which is what made a massive difference. And when Kamala Khan hit... She hit big, like one of the biggest Marvel successes in I don't know how long. They had to do yeah. seven print runs of the comic, which is mm -hmm. nearly unheard of. So that's why there are so many different covers that first issue. Also, the character was used as a protest against 45 mm -hmm. all over the place. It was phenomenal. She is yeah. a great character, which it when even when Marvel did their soft reboot, they didn't change much of Kamala. Instead, all they did was they added Kamala to other, to teams so they yes. could get more Kamala in the universe. Yes. Uh, for a while, she, especially in the uh, uh, late 2010s, early 2020s, she was kind of the Wolverine of Marvel for a minute there, where she was in kind of every book. She was leader of champions. Uh, she had her own book. Uh, she was briefly on the Avengers. Um, and then now she's co-starring with the X-Men because now she's mutants. Uh, um, but... I think none of this is bad, uh, primarily because uh, I think one of the reasons why Kamala Khan works so well in comics is that she is uh, another teenage superhero archetype in the kind of Spider-Man mold, uh, but she is mm -hmm. her own distinctive personality. Like, like, she is not only a young character who uh, uh, we recognize with her, her for frustrations and anxieties, um, but also she is a fan of superheroes, so she is aware of the tropes of superhero comics, not in a Deadpool way that breaks the fourth wall, but rather she's like, this is how heroes are supposed to act. And so she ends up being the uh, kind of uh, a conscience of a Timmy team that she's on and the book she's in. Um, she's just genuinely a good character. And honestly, she, all of her writers have, that I've read have been fantastic because they recognize that they don't diminish her backgrounds while also just writing really solid teenage superhero stories that anyone of any background would, would benefit from those kinds of plots. So she's still her particular own character and her background does shape her, but they don't make that into the totality of her existence. Absolutely. And the other great part about the character being a teenage girl is she's primarily drawn as a teenage girl and is not sexualized. Yes. yes. Which is, it's such, uh, it's such a small thing that it, this has to be mentioned, but it is so important because it is hardly ever done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, I mean, as much benefit as we're giving Chris Claremont for redeeming Mrs. Marvel, Chris Claremont also wrote teenage girl or, or allowed teenage girls to be drawn in a way by some of his artists that were pretty fucking uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And 
to the extent that you were mentioning Kamala was such a strong moral force that for the Avengers, it was uh, Miles Morales and the new Nova and Miss Marvel had, had joined them and they didn't like what the Avengers were doing. And the three of them literally quit the Avengers, like the premier superhero team as fans of them to go and start their own group, the champions. Yep. Um, and the champions is honestly, well, I would argue even the original run of the champions was, was fantastic in its own horrible way. But, but that run of the champions um, was, it, it was the closest Marvel's ever come to doing a solid Teen Titans style comic, right? Even mm-hmm. Young Avengers is kind of Avengers with college age kids. This is a genuine kind of teenage comic book that hits that Teen Titans mold. And, and it's, it's, I really enjoy it. So then what do you think about the new warriors? I mean, the OG New Warriors. I mean, you you have joked about the New Warriors several times. I have to admit, I've never actually read the New Warriors. The time that oh. I was aware of the New Warriors is when they were being used as plot armor to justify uh, the Civil War plot line. So. That was all speedball. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking that I, I feel a speechless run coming up very soon, my friend. Maybe, maybe. Uh, it's going to be, I don't know if we'll do a full teenage run, but. You got like the Young Avengers, we got the New Warriors, we got the Teen Titans, and we got the Champions. Mm, I feel there's going to be something there. I don't know what yet, though. Maybe, maybe. Um, do you, ah, before we go on, damage control. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so damage control in the comics, the 616, is nothing like the damage control like in the MCU. Damage control in the comics is a construction company that literally goes in behind superhero supervillain fights and they collect all the stuff and they try to like help rebuild the buildings and stuff. It is owned originally by Kingpin and Mm -hmm. the greatest villain in the MCU, Tony Stark (laughs) together. They own this company. Yes. Right. Uh, Most of the people that worked for them were like accountants, construction workers. Uh, Hercules worked for them for a short while as a um as sort of his not jury duty uh what am i thinking when oh, he uh, needed uh, um uh, uh, community service for community service so they've had superheroes there but superheroes are not their main thing at all but damage control has faced off against some of the greatest threats in the universe with just moxie some decent weaponry and luck i'm just i mean say what you will about damage control but I will say, unlike Luke Cage, damage control got doomed to pay an invoice. So <laughs> you can't take that away from them. <laughs> no, Luke Cage got doomed to pay. Eventually. He had to, he had to borrow <laughs> like the jet to fly over there and smack him around. So. He had to go to Latveria to collect. They got doomed to collect in New York when he was rented with a bill. So. But do you know what a badass move that is to go to someone else's country, the ruler <laughs> of that country, and get them to pay you? Two hundred dollars, like it was not a lot of money. <laughs> Even by nineteen seventy standards, it was not a lot of money. The damage control in the MCU originally was sort of a they retconned it. Even in the MCU, in the MCU, originally it was a subset of Shield. Now it's its own agency that works within the government to track and try to keep superpowered people in line. They popped up all throughout the MCU. They were in the Spider-Man movie. They questioned like Tom Holland and they popped up in Miss Marvel. I think 
if I'm not mistaken, I think they are going. They're tied somehow to the Thunderbolts plotline that's going on. I they can run on it. Yeah, whatever. Um, they're 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 shield like basically. Do you have any other questions about any of those things? You want to you want to try to pull out some other obscure thing to see if I know it? I mean, I would, but then we'd spend like an hour just basically turns into the uh, pop quiz of Marvel knowledge between the two of us. So I think we should move on <laughs> to the actual show. All right. Uh, season one, episode one, Generation Y. Kamala Khan is a 16-year-old high school high schooler and fangirl of Avengers, particularly Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. Third one. After failing a driving test, Kamala and her best friend Bruno finish her Captain Marvel cosplay costume for Avengers Con. While avoiding her strict parents, Kamala receives a package from her grandmother that includes a golden bangle, which her mom says is junk. After after failing to convince her parents to let her go to AvengerCon, Kamala sneaks out with Bruno to attend anyway, taking the bangle as part of her cosplay. After getting there and dressing up, she puts on the bangle and it causes her to reject constructs, constructs of cosmic energy, a.k.a. Green Lantern. This inevitably causes havoc, during which Kamala uses her powers to save her classmate, Zoe, who she also inadvertently placed in danger. Uh, Bruno rushes Kamala home, where a dis- where her distraught mother pleads with her to focus on her life. In the mid credit scenes, Department of Damage Control watch a video of Kamala's incident at Avengers Con and head to Jersey. So, um... I want to start with one more controversy. Sure. Now that I've read that and I remembered. Uh, there was also a big controversy about the MCU changing Kamala's power set yep, from I'll being from Thank being uh, basically a metamorph where she could stretch and everything else to energy constructs. And it was a big thing. I think it's still a big thing. My belief is the reason they changed her powers was twofold. Uh, one, the glowing energy looks better on television in general than what it would to be stretching and everything else. And two, they knew they were going to introduce a fantastic four and they wanted to save that for Reed Richards. Right. Uh, I agree with both those points. Um, I also think that uh, Kamala's powers look better on the comic book page in the sense that it, they don't look as silly because you have the certain amount of, ludicrous nature of the comic books already come with that so you kind of fold that in having a kid with a a visually silly power i think would have undercut kamala as a character um so so i think it's related to your first point it just looks better on the screen um she's she's comes across as a more serious threat with that power set than she would with becoming you know being able to change shapes uh so I did not have the emotional investment in Kamala Khan to be upset by this, but I certainly recognize that I've seen characters that I like adapt in ways that I don't like. So I recognize why this is frustrating and I respect people who are frustrated by that change, but I can see some of the reasons why they would want to do that. Um, And also, I mean, let's be blunt. We've talked about this before. Um, Marvel throws its money very differently at these MCU shows based on how well they think they will do. Um, and these kinds of visual effects are a lot cheaper to pull off. 
for show that I suspect they probably were not as fully behind as like say, um, you know, WandaVision or uh, Captain Moon America Winter Soldier. Even Moon Knight was pretty cheap, yeah, right. So I mean, I mean, which again, that's an unfortunate trend of oh look, all the shows led by people of color tend to get less money, but we already talked about that. <laughs> so the other reason I also think one of the one of the reasons for another change now that we're talking about it is that. Can you imagine how many problems Kamala could have solved if she could just turn herself to look like any other person on the TV show? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing a game and you're getting superhero powers, a lot of people don't really think about, well, I can look like so-and-so is not a great power. You want like an energy blast. You want to be able to read everyone's mind or teleport 20 miles away. But in actual practicality, being able to turn invisible or look like other people gives you so much access to do so many things and resolve so many plots. Yep. Why well, I continue to argue that Invisible Woman is, is the, the strongest character of the Fantastic Four. <clears throat> well, that's hands down just the truth. It's not even the fact that she can turn invisible, can make force fields, uh, can put small force fields into your brain to stop right. the blood flow. But 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 she also has the best superpower, which is putting up a three versus bullshit. Yes. <laughs> And she's also, she's incredibly smart. She's not as smart as Reed, but she is a better team leader than what Reed is. It's so many reasons why Sue's incredible. Uh, uh, But your your point, back to the show. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that it's, I think it's it's a tough choice, um, but... They put they put so much effort into making the rest of Kamala ring true that if her power set was the change they had to make, I'm glad they made that choice. Yes, and the I I love all right. I will say that I am biased towards the show unconditionally because this is the first Mar- MCU property I showed my daughter mm-hmm. that we watched together throughout the entire piece. Mm-hmm. And it had the ability to be viewed by a parent and a young kid. Mm. I am very selective with what I show my kid because Mm. in America, a lot of people are more open to showing their kids violence than other things that are considered adult. And Mm. I don't think that's how it should be. Violence is something that once you've shown your kid all of that, some of that is ingrained in them and it's not something they can shake off. Right. So you have to be selective and care about it. Mm. And, Miss Marvel allowed me to share my love of comics and Marvel with my kid, which was fantastic. Now I have her reading all these comics and everything else. Right. Which is fantastic. I don't have that bias, uh, but I will say something I, I alluded to last episode. I feel like Miss Marvel is a refinement of the path that Moon Knight's uh, uh, predicted and, and, and pointed towards. Um, although I think Moon Knight comes after, but regardless, the point is, is like from our, from our, from our perspective of analyzing it, uh, let's take a character that probably is not going to get a movie right away. Let's spend some time really flesh out their origins, really show what's amazing about a character, put them in a relatively isolated part of the MCU with a couple of minor ties, see how it does, and go from there. And in this case, it worked without. I mean, Kamala Khan's going to be in the Marvel's movie. Um, I mean, she's she's going to be a part of the larger MCU going forward because this show showed that both the character and the actor can carry that. Um, uh, and much like Moon Knight, it was uh, uh, 
people who were invested in the culture they're trying to depict were involved in creative decisions. So mm-hmm. that really shows on the screen. Um, so, I mean, uh, I feel like this is just a, a better version of what Moon Knight was trying to do, combined with the fact that this show absolutely knows what it's doing, right? It's like, this is the first time I think we've seen MCU really working on, or sorry, the Disney Plus MCU really working on all cylinders in the sense of we're doing a kid hero TV show in, within superhero continuity. It's like someone who, a kid who loves heroes, who becomes a hero in her own right. That is an est- another established genre. And in this case, that combines very well with superheroes. So it wasn't need to kind of pull tension from either one of those. Um, but it's the, we're going to dig into the, the fact that she's a kid part of it. And that is a strong piece of this show. And yes, there's also supernatural nonsense. And we're going to get into some of that, or, or sorry, a superhero nonsense. But this, they recognize this is a show about a 16-year-old a modern 16 year old and they really needed to focus on that and it just start to finish never pulls away from that focus and i think that is absolutely to the show benefit 100 agree and by doing that focus on kamala being a 16 year old that loves superheroes that is how we're able to bring it and connect it so quickly to the larger mcu by the incredible like visuals of like all the animations and everything else that are going on that we open the show with and her talking about uh scott lang and listening to his podcast how carol danvers is or at least was before wanda did all of her stuff the most powerful superhero in the mcu how she single-handedly did these things and it's framing all those other battles and everything that we've seen through her eyes and leaning back on the rest of the rest of everything we've potentially seen in the past what this did in those first three minutes has more power, in my opinion, than what Loki did by showing us entire recap of all the movies. Right, exactly. I mean, Captain Marvel, I mean, let's take another example for a moment. Uh, Captain Marvel is the same place as Steve Rogers is in Captain America and the Winter Soldier, right? It's that the show ultimately centers around her on some level, but she's not in it. She kind of is, whatever. Um, spoiler for an episode we didn't cover. Um, but uh, so it's a lot of people talking around Captain Marvel. Uh, it's not quite the same centering as Steve Rogers has, because really this is a show about Kamala Khan, but Kamala Khan is shaped by Captain Marvel. And so you're right. Kamala's fangirling about Captain Marvel is a beautiful way to not only tell us about Kamala, but also to recap everything we need to know about Captain Marvel. Uh, combined with the other thing I like about this show and then that start is what Captain America and Winter Soldier tried to do and did a pretty good job with, which is to show how real people were affected by the events of the MCU. This is another take on that same approach in a lot of ways. Um, But I think this is a stronger one because it's not as focused on the snap. It's not as focused on the trauma of being MCU, it's like how what it's the celebrity again. It's the, what is the celebrity of being a superhero? But now we're seeing it from the fans' perspective. There's a convention about Avengers now. Of course, there would be a convention about Avengers. Why wouldn't <laughs> there be? Um, of course, there are you know groups about favorite superheroes. Of course, there's merchandising about these heroes, right? And of course, there's knockoff merchandising about these superheroes. Uh, these are all things that we recognize in our real world. 
but it, it, it's, it's a way to kind of continually re-engage us with the larger MCU while showing a fresh perspective. And that is just really interesting. And I really dug that sense of, yes, this world has been indelibly shaped by these people, but now we're looking at the, for lack of a better term, the fun side of that. It's not all trauma. It's like you know, some people genuinely celebrate and have integrated these superheroes into their lives. I want to take a minute, though, and I believe she pronounces her name Amon Volanti mm-hmm. and talk about how fabulous she is as an actress and embodying Kamala Khan. Oh, God, yes. Because think about the other shows that we've seen. All the other shows are either directly linked to the movies, so they already have that built-in fan base and everything else that they can and strength they can pull from to make to elevate them up. And Moon Knight had Oscar Isaac, like an award-winning actor who's well mm-hmm. known throughout genres and everything else to elevate Moon Knight. Uh Amon Vellante had nothing. She had like just herself and a character that she loves to to do this. Like mm-hmm. that is unfucking believable. Right. I mean, uh no disrespect to the cast because one of them is actually a, a, an acquaintance of mine, uh, but this is relative unknowns in the cast. Uh, and for, uh, I'm going to say for us Americans, because I think some of them have. That's fair. That's fair. Um, um, for for the North American market, that's a fair distinction. Um, these are a lot of people because you're right. Some of these people are actually well known actors in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but for us, it wasn't the name recognition. It was simply the quality of the work. And I think that's the important point. Yes, they're big name actors in parts of the world because they're fantastic at their jobs. Um, uh, and we talked before about how Moon Knight was kind of odd because everyone else was working at a certain level and then key people weren't and that felt jarring. This is everyone's on the same page. It's like we are doing basically a family sitcom set in superhero story. And we all need to be at that heightened level of family sitcom. (laughs) Ah, beautiful. And then after that great snippet, we get a glimpse into what Kamala's life is like with Mm -hmm. the field driver's test. And that is something that so many people can just relate to because a lot of us have gone through it. Yes. And it is always nerve wracking and it, doesn't necessarily end as quickly or as badly for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, knock on desk in case you heard that noise, by the way. <laughs> because one day Zora's going to be trying to drive a car, and I'm hoping yeah, that it's better than that. that way. <laughs> and so it was, and then how her family automatically goes and starts protecting her from the instructor, not even knowing what happened, but that's their first instinct. And it reinforces that family dynamic, no matter what they say are going to do, that they care about her first and foremost. And that is important to establish early on for the journey that we're going to take over these six episodes. Because, um, uh, and again, it's, it's masterfully done because uh, uh, her mother, she needs to go through a character arc, which is not something that the show needs to do, right? It's like, only one character needs to have a character arc, which is Kamala. But actually, most of the supporting cast all have character arcs, which is fantastic. And so our mother has her own character arc. And so we have to set her from a position of being minorly antagonistic to Kamala. Because again, 
it's a family sitcom, right? We, we have to have that dynamic. But you're right. They also have to establish early on. It's like this is a woman who deeply, deeply cares for her daughter. She's not mean. She's overprotective. Mm-hmm. And it also does a really good job of completely not shying away from the fact that one of the reasons why she's overprotective is because she is, at, by her own words, a brown girl in Jersey. Yeah. Then we, of course, have to have our moment in school. So watching this, yeah. I know it's set in modern. Actually, I think this is probably set in the future because I think the MCU after the blip moved five years ahead of the timeline. And so, right. but watching it felt like watching an 80s comedy for the entire yes. piece. And that is one of the reasons it resonated so well with me. Mm-hmm. And even like the school scene, that is a nicer updated version, even when she encounters um, I forgot her name, but the influencer on the stairs and they have an exchange. Mm-hmm. It's awkward. It's not abusive, but it's not like we're f- real friends either. Like right. little snippets like that are nice touches to show the characters. And we get introduced to Bruno, who you find out has lost another bet, assuming that she could do something, which shows that they're buddies and that he's been a part of her life for a while and is usually in her corner. Right. Um, and, and I mean, Bruno fills a very specific role. I mean, especially when you have these teenage hero things, it's the, the, the person who is your tech support slash confidant. Um, uh, I forget his name, but, um, uh, Miles's roommates, uh, in Spider-Man runs has felt a similar role. Um, do you mean, uh, Genki? Thank you. I can think of his name. Uh, you mean the, Lego the person that the Tom Holland movie stole and turned Ned Leeds into? How they yeah, stole Miles' storyline to give to Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's so that's when we actually get Miles' movies and if they try to do Miles' stuff, people that have no comic knowledge are gonna go, Why is Miles stealing from Peter? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, but I mean the thing is that not only is he filling this role, but also he fills a different role, which is fascinating, which is he's the voice of reason. Um, because Kamala is being presented as as a a woman who uh, has is an idealist and her arc can't be she comes down to reality because that damages her as a character, right? She needs to stay ideal. So she needs someone that she trusts to be that balance. And Bruno is written and acted so well because he doesn't deflate her while still carefully bringing her back to modern, you know, real concerns. Um, and that relationship is, frankly, in every episode is so beautifully done. But in this first episode, particularly, is so carefully and meticulously set up. Mm-hmm. And to reinforce your point, we even have her go to the guidance counselor and we get just snippets of how she's a daydreamer, even in that mm-hmm. short little brief of t- snippet of time. And everyone knows that about her already. Yes. And they're trying to help ground her and get her to focus. And that's sort of all aspects of her life that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Anything else about this before we move on to the next piece of the of the first episode? Nope, go ahead. And we get the first encounter with the bangle, which you auto- automatically knows it has some significance, even if you hadn't seen any of the trailers, just from how she picks it up and her mother instantly goes, that's junk. Mm-hmm. So there's knowledge of what it potentially is and what could happen and someone else fascinated by it who's a daydreamer. So you're getting something cool is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I think it's, um, uh, this goes a little bit to the, 
thing that we kind of got frustrated with with Moon Knight is that uh, uh, the bangle ends up being kind of an archaeological journey because it's, it's, it's an artifact of history and that history ties into what's going on with the overall mystery with Kamala. Uh, but I feel like it's set up better in this show than it was in Moon Knight because Moon Knight sets up for, oh, it's going to be the whole show is like this. This one's like, no, it's just a small thread. Um, and it will expand and contract as the show needs. But there is this kind of sense of historical mystery because clearly her mother somehow recognizes it. And then we find out later that uh, even old generations of her family are somehow tied to this. So it's, like there's, it's, it's told through not world history, but through family history, which again, we've, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balance and it's a, a dynamic that reinforces what the show's really about. is about this family drama, this family, lack of a term, comedy. It's not quite a comedy, but you know what I'm saying? Um, this, I that, think this, people this call those dramedies. Dramedy, whatever. If only there was a word of a comedy and a drama put together, but there isn't. That doesn't exist, so we're going to move on. Um, but to your point, though, because we as humans look for things to attach to when we watch a show or movie in general, and by personalizing it even more, gets more investment from us as viewers. And that's what that easily does. Mm. And we get her parents saying no to Avengers Con. And we get another snippet almost immediately after that of who Kamala is by putting in her costume and you're going, she's going to go anyway. And we have her family coming in who have made come up with a compromise that they think is good for her. Mm-hmm. So much so that they made them costumes. Her dad breaks in in his own Hulk costume. And they are want they have come up with a way for her to go. And so they're trying to meet her halfway. And we have a teenager that doesn't want to go that middle route. It's like my way or no way. Right. And again, like it's structured well because it could have been that badly. She comes across as a shrill teenager, but we saw this very lengthy sequence of, of she had it all the perfect plan in her head, kind of almost uh, Parker Lewis style. Let's, let's show you the idealized version of the plan and how it's all going to work. And then of course it doesn't go that way, but um, so we saw all of that. So we knew she had a very specific vision. And so when her parents come in and that vision does not meet with her vision, we understand why she's like, no, I'm not doing this. Um, and it's, it's the, she doesn't mean to be cruel. It's just, it, it's almost like you could see the actor again played so well. It's like, it, like it, almost like it pops out of her mouth. And then she, almost immediately her face, she realizes what she said. Um, and she tries to take it back, but she can't. She's she's hurt their feelings. Um, so it, it it's paced really well. We never lose sympathy with Kamala, even in that awkward position. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll skip over the master plan. And we have her and Bruno making it to Avengers Con. Mm-hmm. And you get to see the influencers come as Cap- as Miss Marvel, and they have a big talk about how there's one more person she has to compete against. Bruno has made her these incredible light up uh, goggles to help cement her costume that she's made to show like the friendship to show potentially uh, a flirty, something that could be more than friendship that going on right there for, for young teenage angst, which we have her go to the bathroom. She leaves the gloves in the bathroom and to see him again, step up and go, that's not important. You don't have time. Just get on stage. But to finally get on stage and see the entire dream that she'd come up with fall apart under all the cameras and all the flashes and everything else and not knowing what to do. And so that was a nice realization that dreams in reality are very different things. Yeah. And how Mm -hmm. you engage with them 
depend helps strengthen you as a person or how you're going to go. And we yep. get the first usage, almost a mutation from the, <laughs> the bangle. And it knocks over the ant man's head on the huge statue. We get shenanigans. She saves, saves someone who she inadvertently endangered, but superpowers. And what's interesting to me is, um, uh, Zoe is the influencer classmate. Um, she's set up as the mean girl, right? And so this episode happens. It's like, oh, the mean girl's wearing the exact same hero's costume that I am. And then I'm going to make a mistake and she's going to hate me. And so the the projected arc is the mean girl's going to double down and be even worse. But she doesn't. She's like, she's actually really excited. Um, and it sets up an interesting structure, which ultimately is what Kamala needs, is that if people get to know Kamala, they can't help but be charmed by her. Uh, and that is vital for her character. And so I'm glad they did this because it's the people who don't know her find it very easy to dump on her. And there's lots of reasons, many of them problematic as to why that might be. But once they start to get to know her, most people kind of want to follow where Kamala goes. It's just setting up that leadership potential. Episode one. And that's so good that they did that. Yeah. And they rush back home after all of the shenanigans. She uses her powers to get back up into her room. Mm-hmm. Only to see her mom there yeah. to have that confrontation. I did skip over earlier that Bruno installed these security things in the house for the dad that they were kind of using to try to keep track of them for a while. Mm-hmm. Going back and reinforcing Bruno as a tech person. The mom lets her know how disappointed she is and sort of have a, a argument before the mom leaves. Mm-hmm. But Kamala ends just thinking of how great it is that she has powers. In fact, it could be cosmic. Yeah. See that um, in there? And, and again, it's uh, her mom is very much in the earlier when she was mad. There was very much like, I'm mad at you, and my mom's gonna kill me, blah blah. And this one, her mom is so obviously hurt um, that while the dynamic is I'm in trouble with my mom and I am now punished, we are automatically going, okay, I can kind of see what the mom's issue is here. Uh, so we're already getting sympathy for her mom again as a minor antagonist, which is important because we have to be invested in this family as a whole to make this whole thing work. So even though there's the family tension, we can't start this off with any of us being, oh, that member of the family is an asshole. And we have to be invested in some level with all of these people. Um, even even the, the aunties, uh, which are kind of positioned as the more explicitly interfering characters in the show uh so it does a really good job of never removing the stakes of the character drama while still making you invested in all the people involved in it which nor i don't say normal shows um uh, uh, uh non-superhero shows could stand to learn more about this from and the fact that doing all this with superhero layer on top of it is just shows I suspect this is probably an episode that had a lot of rewrites, as we as we well know. Some of them were unpaid. Um, mm-hmm. But I think those rewrites definitely were worth it. Hands down. Any final comments on the first episode? Uh, 
The only other thing is um, the visuals of the powers and see them for the first time here. Um, I think they do a good job of being feminine without being girly, if that makes sense, right? Like the powers look and act like they're being controlled by a young woman without being pink or butterflies or any of the, the overdone tropes of, of, of girlish femininity. Um, it, 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 they're, they're, you know, glowing, interesting purple colored crystals. And that's, it, it, it makes it visually distinctively Kamala without leaning too hard into Barbie levels of, of performative femininity. Mm -hmm. If that's it, we can move on to yep. season one, episode three, Destined. Najima explains that she and Cameron are part of a group of five enhanced beings known as the clandestines who claim to be uh, Dijin that were exiled from the noir dimension. She, <clears throat> sorry, everybody. Um, Najima says Ashwa was also a clandestine and asked for Kamala's help in using the bangle to let them return to the noir dimension. Kamala agrees, but Bruno warns her that interdimensional travel could be dangerous. So she asks Cameron for more time to ensure that they can do it safely. Cameron agrees, but the impatient cl clandestine decide to force Kamala to help them. Kamala's brother and his fiance are about to be married, but the clandestine crash the wedding. A fight ensues. Damage control arrives and captures the clandestine. And Kamala and Bruno escape, only to have Nakia see Kamala use her powers, which she was unaware of before. And Kamala receives a vision of a train and insists that and she receives a call from her grandmother and insists that they come to Mumbai directly. And Eddie added a note in so that I wouldn't forget. And I was specifically pointed out that the band <laughs> itself is called Brown, Brown Jovi. I love that so much. <laughs> to, to touch on that, something that we didn't say in the first episode, it was pointed out even in the first episode that Kamala's parents like Bon Jovi. Yes. Yes. Um, and it, it's this running, and part of it is because he's from Jersey, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's very natural, but also it really reinforced something that's very important through this show. Kamala's family love their heritage, but they specifically see themselves as Americans. It's like, yes, they're Muslim, but they're also fans of Bon Jovi because they're from Jersey. Uh, um, and that's something that Kamala, I mean, you know, her, again, the identifier, I'm glad you picked that quote because it's so perfect. A brown girl from Jersey, that sums up Kamala in a lot of ways, right? Um, and so little things like seeing a band called Brown Jovi is just <laughs> fantastic because it is exactly <laughs> the right level of cover band pun that is only the, that group of people could pull off while also reinforcing this ongoing running gag of the family loves Bon Jovi. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> All right. So I, I have a lot of love for the show. I'm not, and it is not perfect though. Mm -hmm. And one of the first points of that lack of perfection is explicitly the clandestine. Like just hands down. 
how many secret superpower groups are there hanging around the Earth in the MCU? Like the Eternals, the Clandestine. Uh, God, I think there are like three more. Technically, the Inhumans. There's like another three or four different the groups. Eternals. Seen here. Got the Eternals. Oh, I said the Eternals first. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they were essential. Fair enough. See, With super godlike powers that are just doing nothing. I was annoyed because when I say clandestines, I thought this would be a reference to the amazing slash terrible comic book run of Clandestiny, where they were supernatural beings from a different dimension, but there are also New Orleans thieves. Sorry, my apologies. <clears throat> Thieves. Thank uh, you. Thank you, <laughs> From the Thieves Guild. <laughs> um, who called themselves the clandestines. Um, and I was like, oh, it's, the, it's clandestiny. How are they going to redeem this? And the answer is they're not. They're, just gonna, they're actually gins. Um, and it's like, okay, you know what? Uh, again, Moon Knight sets up. Extra dimensional creatures have, a, have periodically appeared on this world and taken the forms of, of gods and other spiritual creatures. So that piece connects, but the fact that all of them are completely unrelated as far as we can tell, you're right, stretches credulity. How many extra dimensional slash supernatural forces from the dawn of time have been secretly manipulating the earth and also separately have no connection to each other? Or like no knowledge of each other either, which is just, I'm sorry, maybe the Eternals know about them, but choose to do nothing. Well, that's I mean, what they do. Track for the Eternals. Um, but like the Eternals, like the Eternals are the Greek gods, but also are secretly, you know, aliens. And then the Egyptian gods are actually Egyptian gods, but are also secretly transmissional creatures. And the jinn are secretly from a different dimension. Um, at some point in time, magic needs to happen, right? Like Thor, you know, he's a Norse god, but he's an alien. So like none of the supernatural stuff is actually supernatural. It's all some other sci-fi thing, which is fine if that's your overall conceit. But we know that there's stuff like werewolves in the MCU. Um, so and again, uh, uh, none of this intersects with things like um, how the Kree have been manipulating uh, society for, for <laughs> generations and how that stuff ties in. So it, it's it's all like what is so interesting about the Earth that everyone from the multiverse comes here to shack up. <laughs> I have no idea. Much like in Doctor Who, why is the Earth so important? Right. Uh, but for me, I kind of just rolled my eyes at this first part of the episode, and then I just dumped it out of my brain, right? It, it's the, okay. Uh, at some point in time, this is just the, the villain we're going with this week, or this season, I should say. And that's just how it is, and we need to move on. Um but I do like, regardless of how eye-rolling it is, I do like how in episode one, there's a throwaway line by her brother about how Kamala's still afraid of the djinn. And at the time, it seemed like, oh, here's just kind of a, a, a way to reestablish their culture while also tapping into a universal thing of the older brother making fun of the younger sibling for being afraid of the dark when they were younger. But now we actually have an unexpected payoff of that. It's, oh no, there are really people, then they're really djinns. And Kamala is actually afraid of them. Um, so it's like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. So like, as, as much as that setup is frustrating, at least inside the show, it is very internally consistent. And so one of the things that they did do with this show is that they saved her, or Kamala Khan, aka Nightlight, from the drones that Damage Control it put out. And those drones will pop up again later mm -hmm. throughout the series. And in case anyone is curious, those drones are created by the greatest villain of the MCU. 
Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Notice how I'm I'm hammering on that villainy that is Tony Stark. Everybody, all the fans love him. He is a villain. Um, and so by them saving her, automatically sort of gives an in with Kamala and with us, if you were to think that, well, you know what, maybe maybe they're really going to help her and maybe she should try to give them the bangles so they, they can get home and mm-hmm. that endears them to us as viewers. Right. Which is um, a nice touch. The other thing, since we're moving into this stage of the episode, uh, that annoyed me slash I had to kind of just get this in my brain is on the one hand, it's frustrating to me that the teenage sidekick or whatever has just as much intellect as some of the top scientists in the MCU, right? Uh So it's like, yes, I can totally read this paper from the guy who's, you know, the clue is a reference to the Thor movies about interdimensional travel and understand it. With that being said, the reason why I kind of ended up giving a pass is in my head, I retextualized it as like, well, why wouldn't that be taught in schools? You know, this is a fundamental change of our knowledge of, of, of how science works. Why wouldn't some form of that actually be taught in schools in the MCU? You know, if this was a world where Reed Richards existed, would Reed Richards theories be taught in schools? So it's the it was it was it was still pretty much obviously a plot thing and a, a, a heavy reference to another movie, but I kind of let it slide because I just realized okay schools in the Marvel universe are just weird now. All right, if we're gonna we're gonna take a minute to talk about Bruno, I know that we shouldn't talk about Bruno, but we are. Okay, let's talk about Bruno. I and see everyone that knows it. I even resisted making a song out of it based from Lin Manuel. Um, <laughs> Bruno for me is a good character for Kamala support, but the character feels off. And mm-hmm. one is the amount of knowledge that he has, like that you've just described. Yep. Even if it's taught in schools, and even if he is an accelerated grade, they're in what 16, 10th grade? Yeah. So well, he's he's going to go to college the end of this year. So he's clearly a grade or two ahead. Whether that's he's still the same age and a grade or two ahead, or why not? That part's unclear. But it's clear he's on some kind of accelerated program. So I'll give him that much. Which then goes into my next point is we don't know anything really about his family life. Like we know that his parents are gone. Maybe he lives with a grandmother who we never see, I think is mentioned once in passing either in this or next episode when Cameron hangs out with him. Mm -hmm. But like all that doesn't track. I felt like there needed to have been a a minute or two just to help establish more of what's going on with that character. Right. Like I, the apparently part of me, um, the whole time is going, okay, Bruno is secretly somebody else. He's working for damage control or, or something, right? He's just, he's a little too unconnected to everything else. Like he's obviously Kamala's family love him and treat him mm-hmm. as if he's a, 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 if not a son, but at least a, a, a very well-respected friend of Kamala's. Um, so, I mean, uh, I, I think that he does have a history in that context, but what his life is outside of Kamala is a complete blank. Whereas every other character clearly had a life outside of Kamala. Like her sister is running for um, um, the, you know, the board of, of her mosque. 
And that subplot kind of leads to the plot, but really just shows she has a life beyond being Kamala's sister. You know, her brother's getting married. Her mom, we, we learn about her mom's history. We won't go into, you know, her father uh, has, you know, his struggles with technology. We, we see lives for them outside of them, and Bruno just doesn't have one. Um, and on some level, this is a trope, right? It's the competent psychic in the high school drama that kind of exists. But when you have such a strong supporting cast top to bottom, I agree that omission mm -hmm. looks like almost like maybe there was some script pages or maybe even stuff cut to show Bruno or shot that would cut Bruno, but got cut somehow because like it's just not enough time. Um, so like if the season two comes out, maybe we'll see more about Bruno. I don't know, but it, it, it's one of those things that when you think about it, you definitely go back and go, Oh, actually now they think about it. Bruno's a bit weird um, because he's the one thing that's kind of unanchored through all of this. And yeah, that, that's it. That's that's pretty much my my big issues with it, which For aren't me, huge at all. No. Like those those are minor quibbles to something that's been great, right? And and, and I said for me, I kind of almost I, I certainly didn't notice it until after I watched it again, um, because like oh Bruno's such a good buddy, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of really the whole time, and it's like Bruno's such a good bro, and I'm happy for Kamala that she has such a good bro like like Bruno. Um, and, and I just didn't care for a long time. So, I mean, the, the show really does a good job of hiding those problems. Very nice. So we have Bruno in research mode to try to figure that out for them. And then we move into the fabulous wedding scene. That was no, no, well, like, you, you skip the part where her dad almost accidentally learned the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> Where he stumbles, like, let me help you with that. Bruno was like, no, no, no. I was like, I can read that for you. Because um, he clearly wants to help. And then he reads it. And the whole time, like, we're seeing Bruno, like, oh, crap. And then he just like, that's weird. All right, here you go. And just walks off. Like, that, again, that comedy moment of, like, is he going to figure out the whole plan? Nope. Completely misses it. But it's a hilarious <laughs> moment. <laughs> True. <laughs> and then we transition to, like, the fabulous wedding scene. Yes. Which was spectacular to watch. Oh, so good. So uh, Zora had me rewind like the dance sequence three times when we watched it. <laughs> it's a good sequence. The same. I mean, and so she's, she's also, I'm going to give her, I'm on about my kiddo. She's also was a huge fan when I, when I was still doing conventions and I was being, I got paid to go to a convention in Canada. That was like a big fan expo thing. Nice. Oh, Fan Expo great. We took, what's that? Fan Expo's great. Oh, yeah. Uh, shout out to Justin. Yeah. Um, I got up there. I had the three or four different panels I was on, but I got to bring my family with me. And so Zora, her one of her first costumes was Miss Marvel, and she had her full Miss Marvel costume nice. and everything else in the mask as like a little kid running around the, cost, running around the con. Loved it. Um, side, in, side note of interest why I'm still biased towards the show. Uh, so we go back, great wedding scene, and that is broken into by the crappiest part of this show, the clandestine. Yeah. Like, for the love of fuck, man, why, why is your weapon a belt? Let me take off my belt to show you something. Else. No! no! Okay, I'm, 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 I was the only one that was super uncomfortable with the guy taking off his belt around the woman. And I'm just like, what the hell is happening all of a sudden here? <laughs> and so, like, oh, this is a weapon. Okay, cool. But that you couldn't fit a... Like, a a bandolero, anything could have been anything else. <laughs> it was just super awkward. And a spear and, oh, oh, yeah. 
it's I disliked it's, this. Um, did we did we skip over uh, the scene of the damage control going to the mosque? Did I? Yes, I, uh, I, I did. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, that was one of my favorite scenes in this whole piece. Um, mm-hmm. Pause on Backland Estine to jump back to great scene earlier on. Yep. Wow, oh, I can't believe I missed that. So we have damage control rolling up in like their government vehicles. They even like give you a highlight of the female lead agent when she steps out in her shoe. They like focus it on the shoe. Mm-hmm. So then they walk in to the mosque and they walk all over the carpet, ignoring everything else to automatically ask for them no i'm sorry let me rephrase that to demand for them to give them access to try to find out who this who nightlight is Mm -hmm. and we have i don't i don't think nakia was her sister i can't remember um who comes out and lets them know that that's illegal for them to do and basically Mm -hmm. tears them down with an argument and to see the agent sit there and go, well, how did you learn that? How did you know that? Mm. And so that's not important. The fact is, this is the truth of the matter. And for them to be kicked out and told the next time, uh, don't wear your shoes. Like yeah. the power dynamic of that. And the fact the government thinks they could push around marginalized people. And they do it by trying to not tell you what the actual facts are and use intimidation methods. And the fact is that the show at this point in time is directly calling out some of the things like, it's like are you here because it's a super powered person or are you here because it was a mosque um and to put those lines into the mouth of of kamala's supporting cast was was fantastic because it's the there's no there's no good answer to that question and there shouldn't be right uh uh damage control is very much being painted as the villains in this uh but they don't answer that question. And the reality is, is that this, it, it can be uh, internalized racism. It could be intentional racism. More likely it's probably just internalized, but it, it's, it's a very real problem with law enforcement. And someone that, just came here. Let's go to the mosque and check it there first. <clears throat> that, that's where we're going to have to differ. Cause I, I would, I would weigh on the other side that it's intentional and not internalized. It's, I mean, regardless, racism has happened, right? Um, mm. Whether it's internal or external it is, is almost secondary to the larger point, which is that law enforcement will go to non-Christian places of worship to find extremism first, regardless of if they have valid reasons or not. And in this case, leaned on, it would be in your best interest to cooperate to try to bypass legal procedure. Mm-hmm. And, it, I'm, and- glad, I'm glad that scene exists, frankly. Oh, yeah. Hands down. It, it also get, lets me lean into another scene that I really like from this episode that I had forgotten is when the Imam and Kamala are outside mm-hmm. and he explains that it's not being a good, it's about doing good and not oh, being yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, was beautiful. Good, that, good is not who you are. Good is what you do. I think it was on that line. Yes. Yeah. That was almost my quote at the start, but I, I, the other one was more pertinent for the show and who we are, but mm-hmm. like that scene was touching. Yeah, it really was. Um, and again, the, the one thing I love about this show is that from a purely structural standpoint, uh, the religious leader of the community coming and giving spiritual advice to the lead of the show is a common trope, 
And the advice given has nothing to do with their respective faiths, but their respective faith does shape how that advice comes across and is important to both of them that that shape is there, right? So it's, it is indelibly impacted by the fact that they're Muslim, but also anyone watching the show can recognize the good advice in that moment and how powerful that moment is. And it is a great line to walk. Mm-hmm. Anything else before we go back to the belt? Can we just skip the belt? No, we got to talk <laughs> about the belt. All right, fine. So we go back to the the epic fight scene with Kamala still figuring out how all of her powers work precisely and how sometimes she put up a shield to block, she shoots her across the floor. So we're showing the different uses of her crystalline powers, mm-hmm. which is good to see, but the execution could use some work. And I want to come back to the scene because you realize he used a belt to pick up a chair to break Bruno's arm. Yeah. Burr, 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 burr. It's 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 uncomfortable, and I think that's part of the intent. I think the intent is to show, oh, by the way, these people are jerks. Don't like them. Just so you know, uh, at the beginning of the episode, that was in vague. I'm gonna make it really clear now. Nope, we're not supposed to like these people. Go ahead, um, and we'll do that by damaging a beloved support character. Again, these are all pretty straightforward tropes, um, but it's just. It's it's meant to be a shock, but it kind of comes across as a bit meh, right? Yeah. Um, like it's the I recognize I'm supposed to be shocked here, not I'm genuinely shocked. So the to to round out this scene with the big fight is that damage control comes in and arrests the clandestine, but uh, Nakia sees Kamala use her powers mm-hmm. and feels betrayed by that. And to have Bruno even hurt and everything else still step up again to try to protect Kamala to give her a chance to leave. Mm -hmm. Even though now she's going to have to go home to encounter her family who only know that she is the one that pulled um, the alarm that broke up the wedding. They don't know the context for it. And to have her do the hero thing in that moment, like, do I tell these people that potentially endanger their lives if they know about my superpowers? Or do I suffer through it? And she chooses to suffer through it because she thinks that is for the greater good of the family. Yep. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's great. It, it's, it's a great moment. And it, it, again, it encapsulates. We, yes, we have a big superhero fight because as we talked about before, those are things that are necessary for a superhero show, but we see the stakes are low and abstract perspective. You know, her mom and her dad's faith in her have been diminished further, but they're very real to her as a 16-year-old girl. And we feel those consequences even though they're small in scale. And that's where the show, again, the show needs to be. It needs to be continually grounded. And it does a really good job of saying, alien invaders from a different dimension broke up my brother's wedding and now I'm in trouble and getting grounded because I, I kept my family safe. That's where the show needs to live. <laughs> And it does a great job of hitting that spot. Well, that's also where the comic lives. So like, that's one of the things about mm-hmm. Kamala is that she is a neighborhood hero. And that is throughout the comic run. That's one of the reasons they leave the Avengers is because the Avengers want to go and only do big cosmic things. And they stop helping the little people and they quit. So they can continue to help the little people. Yep. 
Um, and we have, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was about to do the train vision and move on. So you have something more. No, no, no. This episode. We know the train vision. Okay. And she gets a call from her grandmother talking about the train. And then there's like, how did you see the train? What? Right. And you know that we're about to travel. Oh, love it. And, and, and I love the fact that there's been this running gag also about her grandmother's not used uh, uh, telephones, right? Uh, she's trying to use some kind of, of, of not FaceTime. FaceTime. Yeah. And, but she's always awkward. And so she's giving this very serious speech. We see like her nose and part of her mouth. <laughs> And the perfect balance of what the hell is going on, but also this is really funny, is just fantastic. Um, we also skipped over um, another piece of this. Again, the visuals of the show, we've not talked about enough. Um, but a lot of the text conversations that Kamala has with, with Bruno in particular get reflected in the environment that she's in. Um, and it's like things pop up on walls or in uh, uh, windows or in, in her items. So there's a, a very strong emphasis on the visual in the show. And sometimes that balance of a visual gag with very serious line delivery is amazing. And the show continually hits that so well. And that's just one of those moments of like, I'm really curious what's going on, but also kind of want to laugh at this moment. And that's great. It really drags you in. All right, uh, I'll round out this episode one more time by saying Brown Jovi. Um, <laughs> out of all the series we've watched, this was probably the hardest choice I think I've had to make to date between choosing episode four, episode five for Miss yeah. Marvel. Yeah. And the history buff in me, though, ticked it over to episode five. So that's what we're going to talk about. It was almost it was almost solidly four, but to see the scenes that were in a C for the episode five, that outweighed it. Mm-hmm. So we'll go season one, episode five, time and again. In India, 1942, Asha takes refuge in a village where Hassan, an Indian independence activist, offers her food and shelter. They fall in love and have a child. Sana, five years later, Najima finds Ashwa and orders her to retrieve the bangle. Ashwa leaves it with Sana and attempts to flee to the new nation of Pakistan with her family. But Najima finds and stabs her. Hassan and Sana are separated in the chaos. Kamala is able to interact with Ashwa, who asks her to guide Sana before dying. Conjuring a projection of stars to lead Sana to her father, Kamala realizes that she was the one who reunited them per the stories her parents told her that had told her of that night. Returning to the present, Kamala finds Najima strike. Strike had, ah, strikes had opened the Veiled of Noir. Wow, I'm all over the place today. But it vaporizes <laughs> anyone who interacts with it. Najima transfers her power to Cameron before sacrificing herself to close the veil. Um, Sana and Mumbai. That's not right. Wow. No, her mother. Thank you. Kamala's mother. Uh, did I mention it was early? Uh, finds <laughs> Kamala and the latter accepts her daughter's power. Cameron seeks refuge with Bruno, where they are both attacked by damage control drones. Cameron destroys it, but the ensuing explosion obliterates the store below them. I uh, want to start by apologizing for all those mispronounced names. That's fine. It happens. It's early in the morning. Um, so when I first saw this episode, 
uh, the first part of the episode, I was like, oh man, I want to watch more stuff like this, right? And then like a month later, RRR hits Netflix. Oh yeah. Oh, and I was like, epic. Yes, this is exactly what I wanted. And then we watched <laughs> RRR and I'm like, this, this is amazing. I love this. And I mean, I, the best, let's check this out moment we've ever had on streaming. Cause I was like, this, this movie is fantastic. Um, Wait, so yeah. We'll have to do a Patreon special for RRR. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I would totally be for that. I mean, yes, it's 4 million hours long, but I don't care. The movie is, is amazing. And the best, the best male friendship I think I've seen in cinema. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to practice my my pronunciations beforehand. Though, um, yes. I don't know where to start with this. I, I it's a time travel episode, which automatically gets kudo points for me, like bonus right. points off the bat. Yes, and a well done but, one too. Yeah, and for all the different reading and everything I've done, my knowledge of India, I won't lie, is very very finite, like almost minuscule, and. Same. To be able to see that and the bits of culture that the show was interweaved out throughout the entire piece up to here was amazing to see. Like, this is what television and media can do. It can educate and entertain at the same time. Yes. Um, and again, this show knows what it's doing. So, like, this could have very easily have tipped into, look how horrible the British were in the forties, which is, you know, sure. That's 20th century in a nutshell, but it's about this family. And so this family is shaped by the forced relocation to Pakistan, or sorry, for relocation from Pakistan. Um, uh, and how that, tr the politics around that train ride, it, it gives you a very good context for that. And it's needed context for a primarily American audience, frankly, but the whole moment is about the family lineage. And we realize that this bangle has been around for a long time, that uh, uh, Aisha has been around for over a century now. Um, and so that these clandestines have been manipulating this family for a very long time. Uh, so we understand the, the family history of it. And so, and then of course we have uh, Kamala, Doing the thing that was always done, uh, but also wait, wait. changing things. Wait. Before we, we run through it, because I think we're starting to run a little long, per usual almost these days. Maybe I think we should yeah. re reframe what long is for us at this point. Right. Um, but to have a love story that is so quickly encapsulated was a nice touch. And to see how those two interacted with was incredible acting. But yes. I want to take a minute to discuss the archaeological dig of the bangle, how they're underground and how they find the bangle attached to a, someone with a blue hand yep, and the writing on it. And I think there was also, I think there was Chinese writing in there also, which mm -hmm. not only links it to the Cree, but links it to Shang Chong. Oh, oh yeah. The, the 10 rings. Yeah. So you automatically, well, not automatically then, uh, if you've become an MCU-ophile, I think how we both have at this point in time, you pick up on all those little context clues and go, ooh, there's something cool that could really happen here long term. I don't know if Marvel will do it, but they've laid the groundwork for it. Uh, yeah, and I, I, now that you say that, I just now got that 
the bangle is supposed to be a connection to the original Captain Marvel's bangles. Yep. I just now got that. And that just shows you how well this is done. That like, that's such an obvious connection, but like with the blue hand, it's like, oh, right. That's supposed to be the original bangles that Marvel had or, or some version of them that crashed on earth at this time. Oh my God, that's amazing. And so one of the reasons I kept stressing Cree earlier on is for this moment mm-hmm. right here. Right. Because that is a Cree. It is Marvel, And I specifically made a joke about Rick Jones to talk about it here mm-hmm. is that Captain Marvel in the comics could have both of the, the nega bands in the comics. But when he bangs them together, he and Rick Jones got stuck in the same body. He bangs them together. He could become Rick Jones or he bangs them together to become Captain Marvel. And the Marvel's movie, which is already from all the trailers, you see that whenever they, whenever Miss Marvel, I'm going to call her Photon for this, but Monica Rambeau yeah. and yeah. Captain Marvel use her powers, they change places. Just how Captain Marvel and Rick Jones uh, changed places. Okay. And it's all, all related right. to the Bengal. Yeah. Because Kamala has it and the new Ronin has it. Has the other bangle? It's all in the trailer, so I'm not giving you any spoilers. Huh, huh. It's, it's so weird. I didn't make the connection until we're now talking it through. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's actually really cool. Yeah, so that's why I, I'm. Ex- I know the Marvel is going to be super funny. I think it's going to be like Guardians of the Galaxy one levels of funny, which I wanted more serious. But I am excited for that movie for the leads and to see what mm-hmm. they do with it. Yeah, totally. Um, side note of interest: the new Ronan is Tom Hiddleston's wife. Or Loki, for people that don't know who Dom Hiddleston is. That's his wife. No, me. Very cool. Uh, I wanted to talk about the acquisition of the Bengal and all of that because it has such larger implications to show how well the show is written or rewritten to layer that into it. Yeah. Um, And uh, uh, although, again, we are also doing really bad archaeology. It's not on the level of shoving your fist down Alexander Great's throat. (laughs) Uh, but certainly zero attempt to preserve this stuff, any kind of context, just, ah, it's amazing but, that anything has survived into the modern day in the Marvel universe this right? The difference here is though, they aren't archaeologists. We had sure. archaeologists in Moon Knight. These are people that want something so they can leave. Fair they enough. They would almost be Tomb Raiders. Uh, <laughs> air guitar. Um, Right. Uh, but anyway, um, even that, like, right, it's the, you have this historical mystery with this strange mystical artifact, but it's still tied to the family drama. I kind of want to reemphasize that part because, yes, cool comic book reference and ties to the MCU, but the heart of the story, this relationship, this, this family matters. And we, we never lose track of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's the, the, the train scene as a whole is 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 just so almost heartbreaking uh while also being a great way to showcase kamala being clever and empathetic and caring um but it's in the fact that they encapsulated this in what was it 30 minutes? minutes oh you're right because i was giving that eight minutes of credits leeway about 33 minutes <laughs> yeah um, because we still have some modern day stuff at the end of this episode compared to Moon Knight taking two, three episodes to do kind of the same thing with much less emotional heft. Uh, um, to go back to the point you're trying to make, but Kamala sort of fulfilled her own loop yep. for the stories that she's always been told. Right. Which, which 
Time travel trip. Right, but 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 see now that we with this one small scene, Ms. Marvel has also made Loki worse <laughs> because <laughs> time travels working differently for Kamala than it did for Loki. She should technically, technically speaking, Ms. Marvel should now be in uh, a deep. Should be a deviant. By, she is by variant. Loki logic, by variant, yeah. right? Sorry, by variant, should be a variant by Loki logic. But she's not. She's this is a self fulfilling loop. Like time travel always works this way. Logic, not time travel constantly changes logic. So everything in the Loki thing either is garbage or this is not time travel as we understand it by Loki, which means that why does Loki exist? So there's a lot of kludginess around. And of course, the time the time travel in Loki doesn't match up with time travel in Avengers Endgame either. So that's a whole third yeah. problem, um, which is arguably consistent with the comics. Um, because time travel never works the same way twice in comics to begin with. But with the idea this is all ostensibly the same thing, you have these really cool, intricate things of it. But what probably happened was the people writing Ms. Marvel had no clue what was going on with Loki, frankly. And so they had no way to make those match up. But it's just frustrating but, to see. It's like, time travel doesn't work this way. We were told how time travel works. We literally had a cartoon clock tell us how time travel works. <laughs> they would, uh, the TVA, though, would say it doesn't meet their barometer for change so that's why they didn't do it that's why it was sanctioned like the avengers were sanctioned uh, or right. kang didn't care about it i mean maybe but it, it also has a kind of unfortunate undercurrent of history doesn't matter in yeah. brown people part of the world <laughs> yep that it does <laughs> um is there anything else you want to talk about in the past before we Jump back to the present. No, let's go back. Let's go talk to the clandestines, I guess. And so we have the incredible clandestines. Mm-hmm. And I, I make that pun just so I can then go that the reason that the clandestine threat ends is because Kamala reminds um, Kareem's mother about family. Like yeah. that is the reason that threat ends is because it goes once again to the importance of family and not like a big superpower fight that ends it. The fight ended in a causing a rift that causes Kamala to go back through time. But the real way to end the problem was with her words, almost Star Trekian. And this is one of the parts where I talk about I, I, my frustrations with people saying it's controversial. I disagree with them is because a lot of people online were like uh, uh, Najma just randomly changes her mind. And I'm like, I don't, and my, my response was really, did you watch the same show I did? Because every other episode up to episode five, Kamala has convinced people to change their mind and be better people every single time. This is mm-hmm. her real superpower is that she can get people to buy into her idealism. And she does the same thing here. And it's like, so this is how much more do you need to broadcast that Kamala is a good person who convinces people? She did a good speech and Najma changed her mind. But if, if this is the only time she did it, yeah, that would be plot contrivance. But it's not. She's done it several times leading up to this. So that's why I mentioned the thing about Zoe at the beginning. It's like that was important to establish this scene. And unlike some people on the internet, I actually have object permanence that can remember things from week to week. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So she, she sacrifices herself. Closed the portal, but then somehow transferring all of her powers to uh, Karim. Mm-hmm. Which, thank you. I have mm-hmm. some questions about how that works. 
They're gins. But <laughs> I will let it go. I mean, it does yeah. it does raise questions like why haven't they done this before? Why mm-hmm. is it only happening now? Um, there, uh, my argument is not that there is not plot contrivance here. It was that the plot contrivance is not at the place where people were saying it was. Um, there is plot contrivance here. Don't get me wrong. But the plot contrivance falls from the category of interventional creatures, am I right? And move on from that. <laughs> And we see that he gets powers. He and Bruno actually have a bonding moment before all the shenanigans happen. I love the, I genuinely thought your name was Brian this whole time. Because <laughs> I'll be honest, Chris, I've been that guy. I've been like, oh crap, I didn't realize I was giving your name wrong the entire time. Let me please murder myself and never exist again because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I think that move though was to make us like him again right, before right. the final episode. Yes, absolutely it was. But it was good, right? It's a good way of not invalidating the feelings that Bruno had prior to this while recontextualizing for the audience, oh, maybe this person wasn't as much of a jerk as we thought, right? It's a a great way to – because unlike some shows where it just – you know, this character suddenly now a good person we have to care about. This is a no. We didn't understand all the facts. So nothing gets changed. We just now have a new understanding, and that's a much better way to approach that problem. And so, yes, it's completely the we need to be on the Cameron train for the finale. It's 100% what needs to happen here. But it also gives Bruno a character arc. Again, everyone has a character arc in this, which is the I didn't understand what you were going through. My own prejudices shaped how I thought of you. And... Store is utterly obliterated, which was where Bruno worked and where his super science lab was. Sure. That's where he lived. He works there. He spray paints cosplay there in the middle of the store. So now that we've we've done our, our three episodes, what do you think of the Miss Marvel show in comparison to the other shows that we've watched for the MCU Disney Plus? Um I was I suspected this when we started this run, but I'm convinced this is probably my favorite Marvel MCU show. Or Disney MCU, MCU show. Um, and going in, I wasn't prepared for that, right? Like, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun show. And I really fell in love with it because not only is it a good show, not only is it a respectful show, not only is it a well-done show, it's just really good superhero show. It is like one of the, I mean, I would say at this point, all the superhero shows we've watched, it's probably one of the better superhero shows, period, we've watched. Um, and, and I recognize that's a huge bar, but I mean, it is the right amount of budget. It's not too flashy. It's not too understated. They put the money in exactly the right places every time with the show. Um, the writing is very solid. The actors elevate the really solidly well-written material even more. Everyone's on the same page in terms of what this show is trying to be. It never really loses focus. And it continually gives you things to think about throughout all of this, some of which are fun comic book nods and some of which are just historical and cultural nods. Um, it it has problems because every piece of media ever, I think, frankly, yeah. has problems. I mean, that that's just the nature of creative work. Uh, but when I walked away from this and hear people going, wow, that show is terrible. I'm like, what in the hell did you watch? 
Did you watch a different show? Did you watch maybe the the, the 90s pilot version of Captain Marvel um, that was done on like 25 bucks? Um, Because I don't know what – that show was amazing. (laughs) Um, Much like you, I I really, really enjoy this show. It is my second favorite of all the MCU shows because it was mostly well-written. I can't get over the clandestine like that. Just the belt for the love of God, the belt. Um, I, 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 I needed cause I have the weight of all the other MCU on top of it with me sure. that I can't let go of. So that pushes it a little bit down for me, but I'm not saying it's a bad show. It is an exceptional show. Would this show be better if they replaced the clandestines with Sportsmaster? You know what? Yeah, because he doesn't use a belt. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If your weapon is a belt that acts like a whip, why doesn't he just summon a whip? Other people summon like spears and pole arms and like knives. Okay. Nah. All right. I have, I have a slightly more serious question for you. Which is better? The dance scene in, Ms., in the wedding in Ms. Marvel or the dance scene at the beginning of every episode of Peacemaker? I'm going to say the one from Miss Marvel. Okay. What about you? Uh, it's a tough call, but I think I have to agree with you. Um, although the dance scene from the, the intro for Peacemaker is mesmerizing, certainly on some yes. level. Um, uh, the, the sheer joy that you get from a scene with no dialogue is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Um, any other closing thoughts before we wrap up Miss Marvel? Uh, honestly, this is one of the times where the fact that it's not comic accurate, I don't think hurts the show at all. And nor does it invalidate the comic. I, I can't say one is better than the other in my mind. Cause usually it's the, Oh, it's changed. So that kind of gives me a rough priority. If I prefer this over that, I feel like they're just both different. Um, but they both have the, enough of the same heart that I still see them as the same in my head. So uh, I, I mean, obviously we're just doing nothing but heaping praise on this show, but I will also say if you like this show, definitely look up the comics or frankly any comic with Kamala Khan in it, but certainly her yeah. own solo run. Um, and it, it, to the point where I kind of want to go back to Marvel Unlimited and reread some of that stuff because uh, I remember the champions in particular being just a really fantastic one. Her and Miles had a great dynamic I loved. Yeah. Uh, I would – Second, most of Eddie's, but I would warn people against reading Kamala in the Spider-Man run that led up to the death of Kamala Khan. Oh, okay. Because yeah, spoilers, Kamala, Kamala died, but she came back. Well, I think she'll be back tomorrow, basically. But yeah, <laughs> it's she. She died for a brief moment so they could turn her into a mutant to prepare for the next phase. I assume. But, but I, I haven't read Spi- that, so I will. I will look into that. For the Spider-Man run, she's kind of lightly sprinkled throughout it just so she's there so that she can die for mm. either Peter or Mary Jane. Like that, that's her whole purpose for being there. Okay. That is frustrating. And I don't like that. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've heaped a lot of praise on Miss Marvel, but what are we going to do next time? It's not like we're going to go into the other three episodes of Miss Marvel. So what are we going to watch instead, Eddie? <laughs> Um, so we're going to go from, uh, one show that was revolved by a certain amount of dudes on the internet to another show that was revolved by a certain amount of dudes on the internet. 
Um, we're going to watch um, Sherlock Attorney at Law, uh, which is Marvel's take on Ali Beale. So enjoy that if you're into that thing. Uh, but it's episode one, A Normal Amount of Rage. And then we're going to jump all the way to episode eight, Ribbit and Ribbit. Uh, and episode nine, Whose Show Is This? Uh, so I just want to know, is it going to have fish in it from Ellie McBeal? <laughs> that would be great. Amazing. But no. <laughs> oh. If people are looking for you online or to get your sweet, sweet merch, where could they find that? Uh, the best place to get my sweet, sweet merch is actually from uh, my Pugmire website, which is realmsofpugmire.com. From there, you can get access to all of the Pugmire related things that I sell. And I do get a cut of most of those, all of those, most of those. Um, uh, but otherwise, you can find me anywhere on pugsteady.com. That's me on dice.camp. That's me on Blue Sky. And that's me on the recently rebranded X, not Twitter, uh, for the l- next 10 minutes I'm on X. <laughs> Has it already changed? Fuck. Well, they're, they've announced that they're going to change it. So this is one more knife in the back of that particular social media website. Uh, you? If you're looking, looking for me, you can find me on Blue Sky, Dice Camp. All under pretty much darker hue, except Dice Camp. I'm at DHS because I could snag that. Mm-hmm. If you, I'm still on Twitter slash X, whatever it is. So I think I am almost at the point to jump off. If you're looking to support me, come join my Patreon, where we occasionally make bonus episodes of the show, where I need to finish writing something to put up for this month. Yes. Or you can buy my swag from the darker hue store online. All right, so uh, with that, we will see you all next week where we talk about She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Be seeing you.